Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about horrific hibernations and regrettable renters. Also, both of tonight's tales are Chilling Tales exclusives, meaning you won't have heard them anywhere else. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Christer Maxine Schmidt and Pamela Cottam are voice talents Jesse Cornett, Heather Thomas, and Paul J. McSorley. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. 
Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Christer Maxine Schmidt and is performed by Jesse Cornett. In it, we'll be introduced to a man suffering during one of the only times of peace our bodies have, something natural for our mental states and survival as we know it. Sleep. The man slowly loses track of reality as time passes him by, and sleep takes control of him. But will he be able to wake up before it's too late? Without further ado, I present to you Unconscious Objection. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I couldn't sleep. I didn't want to sleep. Sleep has eluded me for several days at this point, but to sleep is to give up and let guilt destroy me. That's what I call it anyway, guilt. It was as plausible an explanation as any to describe the feeling in the pit of my stomach, this schizophrenic nightmare that eats at me day in and day out. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I should use this last bit of sanity I have left and write what I know. For I get dropped back in with the chance of losing grip on reality. Because at some point, I'll beat myself at my own game and that'll be the end of me. I've been staring at this white wall for seven hours now. Awake for the moment. I know this because I've been keeping track. I see each second pass by me, the wristwatch's second hand slowly ticking, ticking. Time is both a blessing and a curse. Everyone dreams, right? At least that's, that's what I assume. You dream about all sorts of things. Good. Otherwise, this seems to be common with other people. I can't be the only one, but they're always just that, a dream, a brief fantasy of the unconscious mind. It shouldn't be able to harm you. Only now and then does the concept of dreaming ever manage to seep into what we typically think of as a shared reality in our conscious state. Drug-induced hallucinations seem to be a common shared one amongst people. As do concepts, such as sensory deprivation tanks and the like, seeking to allow the mind to run wild and, and create its own visual worlds. Time? <sighs> I'm looking down at my watch again. Another minute ticking past. Time is that which escapes my grip every time I fall asleep. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
And one common trait of dreamers may be better known by the general public, but seems to affect only those who don't sleep lightly. Much like myself. That's sleep paralysis. And the monstrous figures who hover between the depths of your mind and your bedroom walls. It's commonly understood amongst the general populace, and only some understand the sheer terror that strikes you when your eyes are closed. Yeah, your mind is on, and it can see the red eyes that hover in your face. Judging you. The dreams began a while back. Several years ago, I assume, at this point. The exact amount of time isn't clear to me anymore. It had been innocent enough. I fell asleep to the sounds of another YouTuber screaming at the sounds of the horror game of the week. I used to enjoy the genre, an avid fan of video games myself, but I can't stand them anymore. I keep derailing from staying on topic. I need to type this before my eyes give way to this shit again. Someone needs to know. I had fallen asleep hard into the world of fantasy. No one ever seems to characterize dreams the way I experience them. They're devoid of details, with gray masses of nothingness depicting the boundaries that trail into the distance. Endlessly. Like the edge of a map in a video game, but fuzzier and far less outlined. The dreams always begin with me studying something, a door, a signpost, a horizon from the top of a deck. It didn't matter much, though. A robot factory, a school, an island dictatorship. They all ended the same. Something would find me. I was never sure what it would be or how it would hurt me, but I knew I had to run far. My feet have never carried me anywhere in a dream, though. I would run hard in any direction, but my feet would ache severely, and I'd ultimately be running on what felt like a conveyor belt. And these abominations would catch me. A man in a bowler hat. His smug face was nearing as he floated to me. A robot out of a childhood video game, glowing red eyes, and a laser gun cocked and aimed at me. A sea of sludge and various dead animals inside. Not too unlike a childhood trip to La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles. I remember an alien abducting me in my bedroom when I was tiny. But as with a dream... The fear is entirely irrational, and it makes no sense. There's no physical object to harm you. So, why do you run? Why did I run? What was the point? <clears throat> Whenever any would almost catch me, it'd fade to black. A black slate gray mass over my mind and sent me back into a normal dreamless slumber. 
I always assumed death to be a similar sensation. Sometimes I run at the monsters to make them leave. They always get me, but at least the dream is shorter. Facing the fear head-on seemed to help. That night was different, though. The typical dream had begun with a view of a trippy, colorful world. Not unlike that of LSD Dream Emulator, one of the few games ever to capture the actual feel of dreaming, in my opinion. The world was laid out in front of me as splotches of jittery color splashed across the landscape. I realized I was in for my usual night of terror quite quickly and decided to attempt to end the dream immediately. And when a dreamer realizes they've begun to dream within the dream, or to lucid dream as it's referred to, the reality of the dream can shift drastically in seconds. Your unconscious mind doesn't like to be questioned. I raced up to the railing in front of me, my feet barely carrying me close enough, even as I sprinted. I took a running dive off the balcony into the colorful abyss, hoping to end the nightmare before it truly began. The air raced up to greet me, and a mass of gray began to spread across the color. The end of the dream nearing ever so closer. Ending a dream by jumping from a high place seems to have always been an effective way to end it on a dime. There's something about the shock of adrenaline or something to that akin. Something stopped me that night, though. I hit the rainbow-colored ground with a slight thud. Uncharacteristic of the feeling you usually get from falling through a dream. The ground was still shimmering with color, but it was oddly still. I looked to my left. However, I wasn't in my body anymore. That was a relatively normal occurrence, though. You'd see yourself in the third person, but still be in control of your actions. It made the dream an almost cinematic experience. There was a gray figure standing in the distance. I couldn't quite make out much of it, though it had a pair of red, glowing eyes. I debated running, but realized this was what kept this dream from ending prematurely. So I sprinted towards it. I ran towards the figure, but made no progress. But it floated over to me, slowly, understanding my want to come near it. The red glowing eyes dimmed down, and I could see the red reflected in a pair of realistic eyes. The figure was definitely me. It was myself in the dream. Or a character using my body anyway. I tried to fling myself at it, but the figure floated back, dodging. I understand that you wish to end this dream. It had spoken to me in my voice. You're not real. Why don't we shatter this reality and move on? I looked at the figure, 
watching the unblinking neutral stare. It considered the request. No. I don't think I will let you today. What gives you the right to choose? You're not even real. You're just me. I might just be you, but I assure you, I'm real. The figure turned and looked out into the gray mass. Emptiness is a terrifying prospect, is it not? The gray figure stood tall and stared out into the abyss. Damn you, come over here so I can end this dream. I reached forward, but the figure vanished. I was stuck in a colorful pit, the gray mass far off from me. Nothingness would have been a comfort to me at that moment. The figure eventually returned to me, but it felt like hours, days even. Dreams aren't supposed to feel like that. I could feel its presence behind me, watching me search endlessly in the void. Do you understand why I let you wander endlessly? The figure stated. You're sick. Do you know that you're sick? If I'm you, and you call me sick, what does that say about you? I angrily rushed the figure, clawing my way towards it. It kept moving away from me faster and faster. My leg burned and cramped. I was barely keeping pace with the figure. I ran as hard as I could, trying to capture it, knowing it was my ticket out of there. I leaped at myself and grabbed it. The gray mass engulfed me, and I thought I had woken up. I was in my bedroom, staring up at the ceiling. A cold sweat across my forehead. My legs burned the pain of running a marathon in a minute, all too real. Way too real. I looked up at the ceiling. It made me freeze. The ceiling was transparent and above the roof was a huge floating head. My head. It stared down at me. A grin plastered across its face. I was frozen in place, except for my eyes. They jittered, trying to make out the details of the head. My mind couldn't comprehend the sight. It slowly moved through the ceiling closer to me. I struggled to move, but paralysis had taken hold of me. I hurriedly began to hyperventilate, wishing I hadn't slept on my arms, numb from the lack of blood circulation. The increase in oxygen made everything fuzzier as the head was right up in my face now, screaming. 
I awoke in reality that time. A nasty nightmare, but one that was at least over. <sighs> I sighed in relief. My anxiety causing my heart to beat out of my chest. I attempted to sit up, but it didn't feel right. My legs hurt. I looked down at my calves, and they were black and blue. And my arms were red and bruised as well. And I felt pain in my left ankle like it had snapped in two. I grabbed my phone by the side of the bed and read the time. 11 a.m. I had wasted the morning of that Saturday fighting nightmare creatures. At least I could get them throw some food in the microwave and forget about this. That's when I saw the date below. It made me freeze. It wasn't Saturday. It was Sunday. There was a text from my friend waiting for me in the notification bubble. Dude, where are you? You never showed up at the party last night. I texted back. What party? I thought that was tonight. You missed it, man. It was pretty great. Were you up smoking weed again or something? I had set the phone down. Had I taken anything before bed? I didn't think I had. It had been like any other night at my house. Boring, dictable, and filled with an unhealthy amount of electronic usage before bed. I assumed it was nothing the first time. A fluke of odd sleep patterns. But I was wrong. This dream has been repeated over and over again. Subtle variations leading to the same result. Sometimes I was underwater, the dreamscape cold and uncaring. I'd wake up covered in sweat or hives or rashes. One time I broke a bone trying to capture the figure. It got smarter each time the dream happened. My victories against it getting closer and closer. Every dream the amount of time grows dramatically and the difficulty in escaping increases. The first time, it was only one day lost. The last time, I spent six months trapped in my head. I'll never get back that time in the real world. My friends have all but abandoned me, assuming I'm some insane basket case that can't be cured. But they don't understand, and I hope they don't ever have to. This is going to continue. I'm exhausted as I write this. I can't leave my head anymore. Even when I'm awake, my anxiety pounds me with the thought that I'll be asleep again soon. And this time, I may not come back. I can't take this anymore. I'm sorry I killed her. 
I repent. I concede. I give up. Please give me the courage to die. This reality pains me. I can't handle it anymore. I can't take it. I can't. I can't. Let me go. I beg you. If you're reading this, let me die. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Unconscious Objection, as written by Krister Maxine Schmidt, and voiced by actor and sound producer Jesse Cornett. To find more from Krister Maxine Schmidt, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Schmidt, spelled S-C-H. M-I-D-T, and you'll be redirected to his author profile on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com, where you'll find ways to follow him on his YouTube channel under the username The Tun1789. That's T-H-E-T-O-N-1789. If you enjoyed Mr. Cornette's performance, you can hear more of him on the amazing No Sleep Podcast, where his vocal performances and audio productions are available for your enjoyment. So don't delay. Check them out. And be sure to let them know that Steve sent you. It would mean a lot to us. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by Pamela Cottom and performed by Heather Thomas and Paul J. McSorley. In it, we'll meet a college student named Aggie, desperate to find an apartment two weeks before fall semester begins. A widower advertises an apartment in his mansion, and Aggie accepts after meeting him. The house is magnificent, and the man seems like a gentle soul who she likens to Mr. Rogers with his receding jawline and attire. 
It's almost too good to be true. But are things really what they appear to be? Now, without further ado, I present to you In the Neighborhood. Aggie circled the address and folded up the paper. It had taken almost seven years for the Pittsburgh Observer to return listing real estate in their Saturday edition. Luckily, with the recession having decreased enough to beckon a mini-housing boom back to the Pittsburgh area, the paper reintroduced its housing section. Aggie knew not all landlords, especially older ones, advertised online. She thought this to be especially true to those who lived in older sections of Shadyside, Squirrel Hill, and Oakland, near so many of Pittsburgh's universities. The houses were big, bedrooms large, and many owners advertised rooms to let on telephone posts and college bulletin boards. Some are listed only in the paper. Sidling over to the other side of a metal bench painted dark green and chipping, she tapped the number. A Port Authority transit bus roared by as an ambulance bleated its way along Forbes Avenue. She held the phone close to one ear and covered the other with her hand. Hi. Hello? I'm calling about the advertisement for a room. An apartment in your house? She turned back toward the bustling street, the bus now down the hill, and the ambulance siren a distant refrain. Yes? An older man's voice. I would like to arrange a time to see it. I hope it's still available. I'm pretty desperate. I have to give up on my lease in the next two weeks. Your price is good, and your location is right near a bus stop for my school. Your house is on... Seville Alley, near Whiteman. My entrance is on Whiteman, but come in through the back from the alley. I rarely use the front because I've got nosy neighbors. Anyway, all the houses are red brick, but you have my address and I have a green wooden door. Aggie asked for details about rent, utilities, and where to get groceries. She told him her situation and her need to move fast. What time will you visit? He had a gruff, low voice like her grandfather's, minus the Pittsburgh accent. She pictured him in khakis and a flannel shirt, on a fireplace recliner watching golf, a welcoming, grandfatherly twinkle in his eyes. A dog barked in the background. Nice. Tomorrow evening, around 6.30, will that work? How about 7? The other tenants will have settled in by then. He cleared his throat. Thank you. Oh, by the way, my name is Aggie Krieg. Nice to meet you, Aggie. I'm Bill. See you tomorrow. She closed her cell, feeling relieved, less anxious. If this worked out, she'd have enough time to pack her few belongings and move in by the time the fall semester started. In her junior year at Pitt, she had expected to room with her friend Diane in the two-bedroom cramped apartment they shared on Craig Street near Pitt. Diane had mentioned that she and Todd, short for Thaddeus, thought about getting their own place. 
But with summer near an end, and no discussion or visits to check out new homes, Todd's monosyllabic vocabulary and nightly beer-ponging with friends in their, Maggie and Diane's, crowded living room, finally smacked Diane into seeing the lumbering idiot that Todd was. Instead, the happy couple dropped the news that they had signed a lease for a shady-side apartment, like a slaughtered pig before Aggie's feet. Just as Todd retrieved the oft-used and dented red solo cups from atop the refrigerator to set up for beer pong. No, sorry this happened so fast. Or, sorry, we fucked you over with only a week to find a roommate. Or, we know you can't afford it on your own, but maybe someone else is desperate too and needs to find a place fast. She didn't have time to be mad at Diane. Someday she'd give her friend an earful for being so insensitive. Todd, she couldn't believe otherwise, would be long gone. Aggie got off the Dot bus on Murray Avenue, near the Giant Eagle supermarket. She looked in the window of the kosher deli, walked past Szechuan Gourmet and Pamela's Diner, and crossed Forbes Avenue. Squirrel Hill on Thursday night was bustling with cars, bicyclists, and pedestrians. When she crossed Forbes Avenue, shops and banks disappeared, and in their place, tall, stately homes snuggled together like roosting birds. She turned left onto Aylesboro and walked past old, three- and four-story brick homes framed in fencing and kept private with stained glass windows and draping foliage. She reached Whiteman, and sure enough, six houses down, Seville Alley bisected the block, exposing the backsides of those very houses she'd passed. Aggie checked her phone. If she got the apartment and needed to stop at the supermarket before going home after classes, she'd have an eight to ten minute walk to Bill's. Perfect. The cobblestones rippled in waves as they streamed up the alley to the cross street. Rusted iron grills and wooden fencing separated houses in makeshift storage areas. Nestled along the bulging roots of elm were small blue bags piled like a pyramid, a testimony to the humming flies and the pervasive smell of dog poop that overlaid the soft rot of compost and grass clippings along the curb. Up ahead, she saw a green wooden door under a porch. The lawn was cut. Long dead flowers drooped from plastic pots. Grillwork over the windows gave Aggie a sense of safety already. Bill was no fool. He knew thieves could break a window. Aggie knocked on the door. She waited, a good feeling inside her. She knocked again. The house was huge, and the only light she could see was in a second-floor window. Using her cell phone, she called Bill. It rang three times, then stopped. No message. No forwarding ability. When she'd talked to Bill the day before, he'd answered right away. Aggie tried again. Same thing. She paused, looking around. A car screeched somewhere in the distance. The air sat still, suspended in the alley as a dog barked inside the house. She cut around the narrow strip of lawn between Bill's house and his neighbors, stepping over low-lying shrubs and gnomes 
whose eyes twinkled at the sky with puffed cheeks and malicious grins. She climbed the stone steps and crossed over to the door. Softly, she knocked on the front door, worried a noisy neighbor or resting tenant might hear. Maybe Bill had trouble hearing and just didn't know it. He sounded old enough. She thought back to her grandfather, who'd finally gotten a hearing aid after Aggie's parents spent days pantomiming their words in frantic gesticulations. Bill had written in the ad that one of his tenants had left, meaning there were others. Maybe someone else would be awake and hear her. A light flicked on from inside, lighting the outside. Thank God. She heard movement, a thud, and hurried thumps. The door opened, and a furry golden retriever pushed its way to the front, where it rubbed its snout against the glass before going up on its hind legs and pawing the door. Welcome, young lady. You must be Aggie. And this... He pulled on the dog's collar and ordered her to sit. Is Molly Dog. My Molly Dog, aren't you? The dog panted by his owner's leg and sat still. Aggie took in the spaciousness of the house and Bill's jolly face. He resembled someone she'd seen on TV, but she couldn't place the name. A zip-up maroon cardigan lay over worn khakis and a collared shirt. Tiny plods of plucked thread littered the sweater, along with dog hair. His grin stretched across a receding jawline, and he stared at her behind dark-rimmed reading glasses. When he beckoned her into the living room, she saw a hearing aid plugging his left ear. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, popped into her head. They talked for an hour about college, his life, and Molly Dog. I wish I could show you the room you'll have. Jonathan won't move out until next week, and the other occupants aren't here for you to meet. It's an eclectic group of people, you see, with different jobs and schedules. But you will like them all. Bill jutted forward from the couch, where Molly Dog had curled beside him, her head now resting on her paws. You're not allergic to cats, are you? Eyes wide, his earnest face mimicked the severe tone of his question. No, we, my roommate and I, have a cat in our place, but it's hers. Jazzy, we call him. She'll take him with her when she moves, so I'll be catless soon, but I like them. Why? Bill smiled and sighed appreciatively. Dana, on the third floor across from you, number eight, has two cats, Mungo and Jerry. She likes musicals. They are house cats. Get along with Molly Dog, but I had a guy who couldn't live with cats. Allergic. I had to use an EpiPen once. I just wanted to warn you. Aggie just knew she belonged here. Bill slapped his thighs and stood up. Time to show you a room. Not yours, but just like the one you'll have. At least you'll know what to expect. Aggie rose from the couch and followed Bill, past a music room with a piano and cello that glistened under a giant chandelier. His navy blue sneakers made no sound on the polished hardwood floors 
as they reached a long carpeted stairway. Her heart fluttered. She didn't know Bill, didn't know the house. For God's sake, she hadn't even asked him his last name. Aggie hesitated. On an end table to the right of the stairs, a 12 by 15 framed photograph of Bill and his wife showed a beaming Bill and Allison on their marriage day. In her talk with Bill, she learned Allison had been the love of his life. She'd died painfully and cruelly months before. Per Bill, she'd been cremated. The big old house just screamed for people and voices other than those within his memory. So Bill had begun to rent out the spacious rooms and renovate others into mini apartments. The stairs ended in a shadowed landing. Molly Dog leaped ahead of her onto the stairs and barked. Bill turned on a hallway light. After you, my dear. He placed a fatherly pat on her arm as she took the first step. Moving day came fast, and Aggie's meager belongings fit nicely into a few boxes and bags piled into Diane's car. Saturday in Squirrel Hill bustled with pedestrians, Orthodox Jews going to temple, Chinese students walking in groups, runners and dog walkers vying for space along the sidewalks, cars honking as traffic stopped for someone trying to parallel park on Murray. Diane drove her lime green Kia through the mess and pulled into the sun-spotted alley behind Bill's house. Hey, wouldn't it have been easier to park in front and go in that way? Diane clutched a brown cardboard UPS box filled with books as she and Aggie went up the back steps. Probably, but he says the neighbors are nosy, and one lady is always asking questions about his tenants. And he thinks what his boarders do for a living and their schedules is no one's business. He said coming in from the alley mutes the gossip. Bill had left a note on the door. Make yourself at home. The key is in the foyer under your welcoming flowers. Please be quiet. Others might be sleeping. I will be back later today. Bill. Yellow, red, and white flowers stood at attention, tied with twine. Aggie picked them up and sniffed them. Diane grunted under the weight of her box. A green welcome mat stretched along the kitchen floor. Aggie and Diane walked across the wide plank floor, polished and glistening in an immaculate kitchen twice the size of their former living room. Past the pantry, they entered the first floor foyer. A dining room, music room, and library occupied the other side of the foyer. On their side, the kitchen adjoined the living room offering a separate sitting area enclosed by long windows for intimate conversation. Sunlight beamed through the long windows. This place is gorgeous. Wow, you lucked out, Ag. Diane whispered as she looked around at the polished wooden beams and scrolled molding. Sure keeps it clean for a landlord. I know. No, Todd. No stale smell of beer on his person whenever he stayed over, or dented solo cups that had fallen off the table and rolled in the dust. Wisps of hair fell from Aggie's ponytail as she carefully, quietly, lugged her box up the stairs, taking care not to startle any late sleepers.
she stopped halfway up to the second landing to catch her breath. Bill reminds me of someone on TV, but it's Molly Dog you have to see. She is so sweet. I can't wait to ask Bill if he'll let me take her for her walk. All this whispered to Diane as Aggie glanced outside at the alley. A malodorous ripple of dog poop and garbage breezed through the open screen. She winced and continued past the second floor to the third. A steeple-shaped ceiling ran the length of the third floor, divided into three apartments on each side. This is beautiful. Which apartment is yours? Diane's soft, drawn voice forced a slow swirl of dust motes in the air. Here's my key. There's my apartment. Aggie beamed before placing the skeleton key into door number seven. Aggie organized her belongings in a little over an hour. An ornately brocaded couch sat in one corner of her living room, a Persian rug and armchairs in front, and a low coffee table in between. A colossal window stared down from the kitchen onto the rooftop of a neighbor's house. In the bathroom, a clawfoot tub grasped old blue tiles with a wraparound shower curtain. Except for a closet-sized windowless bedroom, Aggie savored the beauty of her apartment in the classy old neighborhood of Squirrel Hill. Not to mention finding a kindly, grandfatherly owner with a great dog. Diane bid her goodbye, kiss, kiss, gave her a housewarming cactus from the dollar store, and rushed back to rouse Todd from a beer-induced hangover. Aggie walked to the giant eagle and picked up instant mac and cheese and lunch items, enough that she could carry back to Bill's without struggle. Maybe when she got back, some of the tenants would be up and about. She stopped at Brugger's Bagels and an Asian store selling incense to promote good karma. Clouds swirled around a blue sky in a friendly wind that scuttled leaves and seeds along the sidewalks. Aggie thought of silver linings and had to agree. Diane and Todd's rotten timing had been a blessing for her. It was a beautiful day in the neighborhood. She entered the house and smelled coffee. In the kitchen, leftover scrambled eggs sat pouting and cold in a cast iron skillet, a Mr. Coffee on and half full. Something smelled like baked goods right from the oven. Aggie hurried to the stairs and peeked into the living room half expecting to see one of the tenants. Music, something jazzy, drifted down from upstairs. A banana bread wrapped in cellophane with a ribbon and note sat on the floor outside of her apartment. Aggie placed her bags on the floor and opened the letter. Welcome, neighbor. Leave for vacation today, but I will catch up with you as soon as I return. You'll love the house and Bill. See you soon. Dana. Aggie's eyes teared up. She turned the key and hipped it open, moving fast to her kitchen table, where she let go of her bags before going back for the banana bread. Outside her kitchen window, dry leaves cluttered the gutters and pigeons clustered in a group near the chimney. Their coos muted through the glass, their feathers shiny, then dull, as clouds played in the sunlight. Aggie looked for a latch to open the window, but the panels were cocked shut. 
She made a mental note to ask Bill if she could remove the hardened paste and open the window for fresh air. Aggie figured the only trespasser might be a pigeon come to roost or steal leftover crumbs, with no fire escape to climb up to the third floor. Aggie walked downstairs and followed the smell of coffee to the kitchen. Bill stood at the sink, washing dishes in a humming. Molly Dog lay at his feet, her blonde face snuggled between furry paws. Excuse the mess in here. I spent some time with Eric upstairs, number six. I doubt you two have met. He left for Frisco for the next two weeks, so you won't meet him for a while. Security consultant, always on the move. Bill turned and grinned, soapy hands holding a soapy dish. Coffee? Yes, please. Aggie bent down to ruffle the dog's ears. I haven't met the other tenants, but Dana left me a greeting and some bread. So nice of her. She said she's going on vacation? Well, sort of. Her mom is sick, and she is going to help her out. Somewhere near the Poconos. Bill poured Aggie's coffee and scooted a blue enamel canister of sugar along the counter. He offered half and half to her. I guess I'll meet her when she gets back. Who's feeding her cats? Aggie stirred her coffee. Sunlight streamed through the kitchen window, reflecting off a toaster gleaming like new and a crowded key ring hanging above it on a hook. Blue Jay squawked outside, and a morning dove pooed from somewhere nearby. Cats? Bill handed her a napkin. He was wearing the same cardigan and khakis he'd worn when she'd interviewed with him. He smiled over his coffee, big sparkling eyes behind his glasses. Yes. When we first met, you mentioned if I was allergic to cats because the lady on the third floor with me has cats? Aggie inwardly smiled. Bill might not only be hard of hearing, but he might also be confusing stories in his old age. Or he was maybe forgetting. Yes, oh yes, Aggie. He shook his head and chuckled, finally connecting the dots. Glad you reminded me. The gesture was akin to the confusion her own grandfather experienced, and Bill's response reinforced a warm familiarity as if she were a little girl and back home. Bill grabbed a rag and wiped away sugar grains and toast crumbs. I'll be meeting friends out tonight. No problem with me coming home late, I hope. No problem. Just be quiet. Come in through the alley, of course, and lock the door behind. He grinned and patted her shoulder. Oh, hey, Bill. Is it possible for me to open my window? I noticed it's sealed with caulk or something like that. Either way, I can't open it. She finished her coffee and Bill reached for her mug. He cocked his head and looked at her. That wide grin returned. Of course, do you mind if I get to it later in the week when you're in classes? His chin disappeared and he stared at Aggie. Funny little man. Of course, Aggie said. She met friends at Mineo's Pizza for dinner before going down to Shadyside where she drank three IPAs with a tinge of peach flavoring and two shots of bourbon at Cappy's Cafe, beer at Diane and Todd's place, 
and caught a late bus to Squirrel Hill. Each time the pen dot bus swirled around a corner, booze gurgled inside her, threatening to gurgle right up and out. Streetlights diffused, fuzzy. A warm drizzle soaked the streets, and pedestrians clustered along the sidewalks, hoods and umbrellas up. She held tight to the door rail as she got off the bus, trying hard to walk straight and be aware. Bodies moved toward her, past her, around her, and she hoped she didn't smell of alcohol. Crossing Forbes, neon lights and eateries disappeared, and she entered the dark stretches of Murray Avenue. A gentle mist was floating ghost-like from the hot pavement, shrouding the scant glow of streetlights. Try as she might, she walked a crooked line back to Bill's place. In through the alley door, she tiptoed on the kitchen floor. A light burned in the music room. If Bill or a tenant were up late, they'd see her drunk. Step by uneasy step, she crept through the foyer into the stairway and up to the second floor. She took out her key and wobbled down the corridor before registering the numbers. She and Dana were seven and eight on the third floor. A saxophone played low from room six. She felt slog-headed, woozy, as she backtracked and climbed the stairs. A wall sconce lent a soft, warm glow along the corridor. Outside her door, she rummaged through her purse and found her keys. She placed the key in her door when a thud sounded across the hall. Then a sound of breaking glass and pinging along the floor. She jumped and felt her heart thump. She paused, looked around her, and then stepped to Dana's door. She placed her ear next to the wood. Quiet. Aggie rubbed her eyes and cursed her wraith-like floating thoughts. She darted back to her apartment. Holding on to the counter with one hand, she poured a large plastic glass of water and drank. If Dana was in the Poconos, what caused the crash in her apartment? Maybe she should wake Bill. But she didn't know where he slept. She looked at her phone. Almost 2 a.m. No, she wouldn't call him this late or let him see her glassy-eyed and drunk on her first night at his place. She considered asking the music player on the second floor for help, but he, or she, might tell Bill he'd just rented to a drunken college student. Aggie struggled to think clearly. Dana's apartment was too high in the house, just like hers, for a burglar to be crashing in. Maybe a picture fell, or a window or light broke. Shit. What if one of the cats caused the crash? Or the crash caused injury or death to one of the cats? Her mind reeled. Maybe instead of waking the whole damn household, she should check things out for herself. A neighborly gesture to pay back Dana for the banana bread. Only she needed a key. Aggie drank more water before heading downstairs. The saxophone still played from room six on the second floor. She glanced down the corridor. Drizzle fell like silent teardrops on a window at its furthest reach. Damn, 
if she weren't so wasted. She'd go to Saxophone Man's apartment and ask for help. Eric, that was his name. Mr. Casanova. She continued to the first floor foyer, where she skirted the dining room and peeked into the music room. The piano's silhouette sat dark, a low thrumming of rain, the only sound coming from the room. Molly Dog barked from somewhere below her as Aggie rushed into the kitchen. A dull yellow light above the kitchen sink came on when she hit the light switch. The keyring was still hanging above the toaster, and Aggie hoped they were Bill's copies to the apartments. She lifted the ring and fisted them in her hand to prevent jingling. A rectangular corkboard with tin pockets numbered 1 through 8 for mail hung on the side of the refrigerator, unnoticed by her that morning. She looked at her pocket, and it was empty. She took three steps out of the kitchen and came to a dead stop. A deep fluttering bloomed inside her chest as she slowly walked back to the refrigerator. Of eight mail pockets, hers was the only one with a name. She paused and tried to get a grip on thoughts moving too fast through her head. Another soft bark came from downstairs. No way she wanted Bill to find her sneaking around with his set of keys, drunk in the middle of the night. She rushed back to the foyer and up the stairs. Outside Dana's apartment, she slowly breathed and tried one key, then another. The third lock slid in easily and turned with a click. There was no sound from Molly Dog. She nudged the door open, a wedge of light falling on the apartment floor. Across the far side of the room, two tall straight-backed chairs stood like guards at either end of a long, brocaded couch. A small table and lamp sat to her left. Unease settled over her like fine dust. Opening the door wider, she stepped inside, the bare wood floor groaning under her weight. She turned on the light. Here, kitty, kitty, she whispered. The living room and dining room lay in quiet repose, empty and uncluttered. Dust bunnies dotted the floor in place of rugs or carpet, and a fog born of stale air and old heating squeezed the room. Aggie crossed to the couch and peeked under it. Her footprints unsettled the fine pallor coating on the floor. In the kitchen, she turned on the light. Hey, kitties. Where are you? The kitchen sink sparkled, and the counter was bereft of appliances, dishes, soap, or rags. Bare floorboards showed no cat dishes, water bowls, or garbage can. The kitchen table and chairs sat upright, and the cupboards closed. Aggie figured that Dana must have confined the cats elsewhere. She headed to the living room, where a closed door suggested a bathroom or bedroom. Aggie heard the hum of rain and felt a subtle current of air when she opened the door. A long window clung to a hinge like a desperate climber. A pane had broken and laid scattered on the floor, but no rain was coming in. She feared a hurt cat 
and anxiously peered under the bed and behind a wide, upholstered rocking recliner. A small opening between the louvered doors of Dana's closet gave Aggie hope the cats had settled inside. She pushed open the closet, looking right and left. No cats. No. Her insides recoiled. Nothing. No shoes. Clothes. Boxes. Empty. A warm wind scuttled leaves along the roof and the quieting drizzle outside the room. Inside, that same wind shuffled dust bunnies across the floor and into corners. A tingling prescience made her straighten her back and look into Dana's bathroom. She opened the medicine cabinet, pulled the shower curtain back, opened the vanity doors. Pristine cleanliness and devoid of toiletries, towels, personal items of any sort. How could one explain the note from Dana and the banana bread outside her door? Bill had talked about Dana's cats. Aggie inhaled deeply, deliberately, trying to clear her head. She determinedly walked to the hallway out the bedroom and across Dana's living room floor. Something was amiss. Maybe Dana left without telling Bill she was gone for good. Maybe Dana cleaned the apartment to get her deposit back before telling Bill she wasn't returning from the Poconos. Maybe Bill had the cats with him wherever he slept with Molly Dog. Perhaps she was confused about which apartment Dana lived in. Or maybe there was no Dana. In her own apartment, Aggie lifted the makeshift vase she'd made out of a plastic glass to hold Bill's welcoming flowers. Coriopsis, baby's breath, and cosmos radiated from a bunch of ferns. Bill's welcoming note lay under the vase. Aggie took out the handwritten note and reread it under the light of the sink. Bill's writing would have made Sister B, the nun who taught cursive at Aggie's Catholic elementary school, glow with pleasure at his gentle, almost feminine script. Aggie imagined the red A at the top, Bill's paper pinned to the bulletin board for everyone to see. Aggie lay it face up on the counter. The remaining banana bread sat wrapped in its cellophane near her sink. She bent down to her recycling can and fingered its contents, looking for Dana's note. The word insidious scrabbled like crabs across her thoughts. She scrounged through the boxes she lugged in earlier that day when she and Diane had unloaded her belongings. Aggie's mouth felt dry, acidic, and she paused to drink more water. The water cleared her mouth, but gurgled in her stomach. She searched the garbage can before rifling through her raincoat pockets and jeans. The note was gone. She thumbed through her purse and found it. Wadded into a ball with a piece of chewed bazooka bubblegum she'd dumped when her first bourbon arrived. She'd shown the note to Teddy when he'd shocked her by mumbling if she liked living in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, which garnered laughs from all around. Now, under the kitchen light, Aggie pried the sticky gum away from Dana's note and stretched out the crinkled, spit-stained paper. 
she placed it next to Bill's welcoming letter. She hadn't noticed. But why would Bill risk her making the connection? Maybe he was crazy. Or maybe he was a sick man confused by dementia. A tender shot of compassion rested its way up and into her being. His wife was gone. He'd been lonely for months, needing people around him. He had tenants, so obviously, what? She'd heard footsteps and music on the other floor. Bill said Eric was a Casanova and was going away for two weeks. People worked different hours, and hell, she'd only lived there one day. It was entirely possible that she'd just missed the others with the comings and goings of a busy Saturday. Maybe she'd wait until the morning and tell Bill about Dana's broken window and empty apartment and ask about Mungo and Jerry. Aggie's imagination ran haywire, and she wanted to wring Diane's neck and stuff a fucking ping-pong ball down Todd's throat for putting her in this situation. She still had Bill's keys. She had to return them to the hook downstairs before morning. She also had to clear her head. Too many what-ifs and maybes swirling like a cyclone in her alcohol-addled brain. Aggie took a shower, where the hot water eased her mind and relaxed her body. She thought of calling Diane, Fuck Todd, who'd likely snore through the call anyway. Out of the shower and still tipsy, she put on her PJs, robe, and Minnetonka moccasins. Leaves clumped at the eaves outside her window, but the rain had stopped. A sliver of moonlight limed the clouds. She drank one more glass of water and felt bloated. Something echoed in her mind. An aha moment caught her as she stood looking out her kitchen window. The saxophone, coming from the end of the second floor. Eric, the Casanova, went to Frisco, as Bill had mentioned. Number six. But his music was playing. Bile rose in her throat, and she had a second where she leaned her head over the sink and expected to puke. Her mind imagined all sorts of scenarios from Friday Fright Night films in her youth. She breathed deeply, berating herself for such stupid thoughts. Keys in her robe pocket, she walked out her room and into the corridor. Tiptoeing down the steps, she brought forth the metal encouraged by her need to know and nourished by the disbelief of her inebriated thoughts. One step two steps, now on the landing to the second floor. Music played from one of the rooms at the end. Aggie crept down the corridor. She placed her ear to room five, then stepped across to room six. A horn, exhaling long, low notes with other instruments. Aggie knocked. The music curled and repeated, and then low, throaty sounds from a woman took the stage. Aggie rapped fast and gently on the door, felt the pain in her knuckles. Irritation molded within her. Fucking someone had to be home, playing this music, unless Eric had forgotten to turn it off. She fingered the keys and placed one in the lock. 
If someone burst open the door demanding to know what she was doing, she'd tell them about Dana's apartment and plead for her need for help. If no one was home, well, she needed to know. She'd never questioned Bill's story. She'd been too stupid to even ask for his last name. Maybe she should talk to those nosy neighbors Bill warned her of. The fifth key clicked as her bladder's balloon felt ready to burst. She so wanted to cry, to scream, to have someone with her. Opening the door provided little light in the room. Looming like a giant was an armoire in the middle of the back wall, its steepled point almost touching the ceiling. A recliner rested next to a coffee table, with the radio turned on. Aggie moved across the bare floor and turned on a wall lamp. It was like her innards dropped an inch. She checked out the kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, just like in Dana's room, empty closets and bare cupboards, a fitting place for old Mother Hubbard, not even a roll of toilet paper after she'd scrunched her legs and just made it to Eric's toilet in time to pee. There was no Eric, no Casanova wooing women to his bed. Dust bunnies stuck like friends to her Minnetonkas. The muscles in her arms and legs felt like weights. A stark reality, clarity after a dream, hit her like a punch to the gut. She walked out of the room and tiptoed to the next room, number five. She found its key and turned the lock. She turned on a light with each room down to number one, looked for signs of a tenant, but found none. Bill lied to her, or suffered delusions. He'd lied in the advertisement, filled his house with non-existent people, and created stories about their lives. She was alone in the house with Bill. Aggie locked the last room. She heard a thumping sound and whimpering rising from below. Aggie ran up to her apartment floor and quickly quietly locked the door. Seconds later, Molly Dog padded along the floor outside her door, groaning and sniffing the bottom. More thump-thumping, this time in Aggie's chest. She switched off the light above her kitchen sink and waited as the dog's shadows scurried to and fro under the door. Hey, my girl, what's wrong? Bill spoke low outside Aggie's door. What's got you going, huh? Molly Dog gave a plaintive cry and quieted. Come on, girl. Let's get you outside. The dog thumped away. Aggie wanted to whimper, but the back of her throat wouldn't budge. If Bill were taking the dog outside to pee, he'd probably take her to the alley from the kitchen. Aggie threw on her jeans, t-shirt, and jacket. She grabbed her backpack and stuffed underwear, toiletries, and necessary items, purse and phone, into compartments. She'd call an Uber outside and sleep at Diane and Todd's for the night. Aggie watched the clock. It was close to 4 a.m., and she hadn't heard a sound since Bill had taken Molly Dog downstairs and out to pee. Over an hour ago, 
no longer sought, she felt clearer-headed. Her stomach rumbled and threatened to empty, but she'd drunk so much water she couldn't handle another drop. She reached for the banana bread, but couldn't bring herself to eat it. After hoisting on her overloaded backpack, she grabbed her tote and opened the apartment door. Heart pounding loud in her ears and sweat pooling under her arms, she braced herself at the top of the stairs and waited. Not a vibration of wind against the windows, the patter of Molly Dog, or the shuffling of Bill's feet. Each step a nightmare. She tiptoed down to the second floor landing and paused. Panic, as sharp as the beating of her heart. A low voice sounded from the living room, where a dim light shone. Molly Dog's been good, you know? She gets along well with the tenants and especially likes her new girl, Aggie. She's a nice young lady, and you know what? Dana made her banana bread for her arrival. Now there's someone who I want to keep. A keeper, you'd call her. Bill chuckled. Peggy couldn't move. She wrestled with continuing to the kitchen, screaming and finding out who Bill was speaking to. Who was he talking to now, so early in the morning? Maybe she was wrong. Maybe there was someone else. Another apartment in the basement she didn't know about. Her backpack lay heavy on her shoulders. She needed to leave now. Right away. I'll do some gardening today. Take Molly Dog for a walk later. I wish you were here as always. I know, I know, life goes on. That's what they all say. Sometimes, though, it seems to stop. Bill chuckled. Anyway, love of my life, I'll get you settled soon in your room in a pretty permanent place. She had to know. Aggie crept to the living room, too afraid to look in, too confused not to. Bill rested in an armchair, legs folded, hands folded in his lap. He wore his zipped maroon cardigan and khaki trousers. His grin stretched wide along with his receding jowl as he stared intently at a see-through freezer bag filled with gray and white flecked dirt or powder that sat atop a folded giant eagle paper bag. Aggie later wondered if her heavy drinking caused the synapses in her brain to disconnect. Seconds or minutes, she didn't know how long. She had stood, taking every wrong turn, until click. The connection jolted her. Mrs. Bill? And what was Bill? Adrenaline squeezed her muscles. She flew out of the foyer and toward the kitchen, where a sleeping Molly Dog lay by the pantry. Aggie saw nothing as she rushed. Molly Dog wailed, her haunch trampled by Aggie's foot. The dog rose, a silhouette in the ambient light, and pushed against Aggie. Aggie threw Bill's keys on the counter as she legged the hound out of her way. Molly Dog barked twice. 
Molly girl, what's wrong? You wake the tenants. Bill's whisper grew louder as he neared the kitchen. Aggie pushed out the door and slammed it. Past the pyramid of blue dog poop bags and the gentle smell of rot, Aggie ran across the cobblestone, out the alley, and away from Bill. I hope you enjoyed In the Neighborhood, as written by Pamela Cottom and voiced by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's talents Heather Thomas and Paul J. McSorley. Heather Thomas's performance can be found right here on our very own network, as well as over at the Creepy Podcast, where you'll find by going to www.creepypod.com. That's C-R-E-E-P-Y-P-O-D. Voice actor Paul J. McSorley's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also find more of Paul's work by visiting Audible and checking out his many audiobooks. Just go to audible.com and type Paul J. McSorley into the search bar. That's Paul J. McSorley, M-C-S-O-R-L-E-Y you'll be glad that you did. If you check him out, be sure to give him a thumbs up and a kind word whenever possible and tell him you heard him here on this program. It means a lot to us. To find more of author Pamela Cottom, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Cottom spelled C-O-T-T-A-M and you'll be redirected to her author profile on creepypastastories.com. Now... Our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week, when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs>
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.